Welcome to Rural is Cool. This week, I chat with Austin Carr. Austin works with Monkey This, a marketing company that caters to the needs of small town rural businesses. Austin is also the founder of Charlotte State, a nonprofit that provides tools and support for children in feeding therapy. If you enjoy our conversation, please be sure to subscribe so you don't miss the next episode. Also, if you could give Rural is Cool a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen, it helps others like you find this podcast. Well, hello, Austin. How are you doing today? I'm great, Mike. How are you? I am doing well, thank you. I am super excited to have you on the podcast. We've chatted on the phone. We've emailed back and forth. I think you have an interesting story of how you help small businesses from a major metropolitan area. So tell us why you're passionate about helping rural businesses and how you can do that from Denver. Oh, absolutely. Mike, I really appreciate you having me on. I love the podcast and I I just really love what you're doing. So so yeah, I I am in Denver, Colorado. I've been in Denver for about 15 years. Um, I grew up in a small town in Eastern Iowa called Vinton. It's just between Cedar Rapids and Waterloo. Um, It's a town of about 5,000 people. My family's all still there. I, my wife and I chose to move to Denver after college. We met in college, moved to Denver. We're here for a couple of years and then uh, decided we would move back to the town I grew up in. She grew up in the Des Moines area in Iowa. And so we thought, I'll move back to the town of 5,000 people. I'll go to work with my dad. She'll find a job teaching and life will be great. And we spent three years in Vinton. And I tell people, quite frankly, we couldn't hack it in the small town. It was not for us. It's for a lot of people, but it wasn't for us. So we spent three years there and then moved back to Denver. So this this most recent iteration is 15 years here in Denver. Two little girls that are in school. They have uh, friends in, in here, and we've built a, a little life for ourselves here in, in Denver. Uh, as you mentioned, we do. I, we have a marketing agency called Monkey This. And we specialize in helping small businesses and organizations in rural America. We focus almost exclusively on small towns. And our goal really is to help them achieve those businesses and organizations achieve the things that they want to achieve and do it in a way that is economically viable for them, that matches the timelines that they have in mind and realize that small town marketing and advertising is very different than what we see in national campaigns or in even major metro areas. So you mentioned that you couldn't hack it in a rural area. What is the biggest difference for you guys of living rural? Because you've had the, the experience of both, right? What's the biggest difference for you? I should have been prepared for that question. Um, <laughs> I think the biggest difference, we live in a, in a neighborhood in Denver. We live in city and county of Denver. It's pretty close to downtown, little post-war addition. We have everything that we need here. Grocery stores close, lots of things to do, lots of opportunities to volunteer and get involved. Those kinds of things are true in a small town as well. I think growing up in a small town, I I I missed some of the opportunity to experience a larger world. My parents went out of their way to make sure that we experienced a larger world, but there's only so much you can do if home base is a town of 5,000 people. 
And so in rural Iowa, in rural Iowa, uh, we had some friends visit us once and they said the town just kind of pops out of a cornfield. And I was like, that's a great (laughs) description. Amazing people, deeply committed to their community, but just a different way of life. I tell people we live in a, in a neighborhood that feels like a small town. Uh, I don't go very far from my house to get everything that I need. It could very well be a small town. It's just surrounded by a bigger city. Denver's still actually very small as well compared to a lot of large cities. So we lived in Houston for gosh, 12 years, 13 years. And it was the same thing for us, right? It was a, it was a super small tight knit community that we lived in. And then we left it for work and came back. So it was very much still a similar lifestyle as what we have now living in the middle of a cornfield. I think it's funny when people say that, because I think if you have lived your entire life in a small town, you you don't necessarily understand that your neighborhood is very much like a small town. It's a series of connected small towns. In reality, that's not actually true, right? It's it's very it's still very different than a town of a thousand. But I like to think of our neighborhood as a little small town, uh, just surrounded by a bunch of other people instead of corn. We used to do, and, and here we're, we're very cognizant, you know, we make sure we buy our groceries in our, in our little town. We make sure we get our gas in our little town. In the city, we were the same way. Make sure we go to the local grocery store, go to the mom and pop restaurants, go to, so it was still in theory supporting local. Local was just a little bit bigger area. Yeah. And I, I, I think that that commit, commitment is really important. There are so many small businesses that do need support. Here, you just, you know, in a city, you have so many choices to make that I think you have to be more intentional about those choices versus a small town where the grocery store is the local grocery store. (laughs) Right, right. I do like being able to get groceries on a Sunday afternoon, though. That is the, you know, of all the things I love about living in a city, going to the grocery store on a Sunday afternoon sometimes is the the highlight because sometimes they're not open in town. Right. Ours closes six o'clock on Saturday and doesn't open back up till Monday. So yeah, I completely understand. Tell you what, the thing that small towns have figured out is this work-life balance though. I mean, if, if nothing else, you look at the stores that close early, the grocery store that closes, the people that work at those places have a better work-life balance because the companies that they're employed by have made that decision. And I think that that is something that's often overlooked in small towns that we do have that, you know, we, we do get to go home for dinner, even if we do work retail. So living in Denver for 15 years, do you feel that you've lost your small town roots or is that still there? I know that I have. I know that I've lost some of that touch of what it meant to live in a small town. And and I, I especially look at my sister who still lives in the town we grew up in. She has three little boys. Their life is different than ours. And so I can't, it's not a one-for-one comparison. I can't say, yes, I've, I've maintained everything that I learned in a small town. I do think that one of the, one of my goals in my life is to make sure that our kids understand that there are different opportunities for them in different places. Um, I always say my wife and I chose to live in Denver. My kids didn't choose to live here. And so as they grow up, I really want them to have that opportunity to see that there are places that are very different, both bigger and smaller that they can choose to live in. And so when I think about those things, that's when I really get on my soapbox about rural communities, because I want those kind of places to be there for future generations, not because they're places that feed cities, 
but because they're viable, committed people. Um, and those kind of places are really important. It definitely is a different person who lives in rural versus an urban setting. I've been very fortunate and somehow I, I kind of just transitioned between the two growing up in a small town, moving to cities, moving back to the small town and, and who knows where I'm going to be in, in 10 years. But it's a, it's a different kind of person. It's a different mindset. Not a lot of people have the, the mindset that, that you just relayed, right? That there are opportunities in a small town. There are opportunities in a city. There's opportunities in between all of that. Most people who live in an urban area think it's a whole bunch of rednecks and hillbillies in the rural area. And the rural people think it's just mobsters and the drug cartel in the city. Right. So it does take a unique individual to understand the, the commonalities between the two. I think that urban areas, especially not so much the suburban areas, but urban areas face a lot of the same problems that rural areas face with opportunity, job loss, you have mig out migration that's happening. So I think that there's actually more commonality there, but I agree with you. Societally, very similar, but the people that make them up are not different, but it takes a different mentality to live in a small town than, than what's available in a city. You know, I, I follow this gentleman. He writes um, the Revitalize or Die blog, and he is a, a consultant that goes around and helps communities plan and brainstorm on how to make their communities better. And most of his are suburban neighborhoods that have all the concrete and all the big box stores and how to make those feel more like a small town. But like you said, it's the exact same challenges that we have in our small town. So how do you take all of this and turn this into a marketing company that you run remotely? Sure. So uh, I have a great team that's led actually by my dad, uh, which I have the good fortune of working with him. He's still in Vinton, Iowa, and is a you know works really hard for his community as well. I think our roots in small towns really inform what we do because for so long our clients were in small towns. It's really interesting to work with small businesses and organizations, especially in rural communities, because their needs are very different. We, I have a team, so a team of four, myself, Kurt, my dad, Bobby, and Kat. Uh, Kat's here in Colorado. Uh, I've met her for about all of eight seconds. And Bobby is in Mount Auburn, Iowa. And we work together to, to try and help our clients achieve their goals. And, and when we talk to them, one of the things I think we bring to the table immediately is this understanding that small businesses have limited resources, both people resources and monetary resources that have to drive everything we do. If we go into it with the idea that they have a big budget and they have people that can be focused on marketing, the whole system falls apart because oftentimes it's the business owner trying to do the marketing. It's the, you know, there, there's no budget for, for marketing and advertising. They're doing everything they can to keep their employees happy, their customers happy, their families happy. And that, that deep commitment to their community is um, really important. So we become hyper-focused on these places because they are, um, the needs are just really, really unique. I've explored your guys' website yeah. and looked at some of the stuff you've done for your clients. And it looks like it costs a lot of money. There's great video production. There's great graphics. How do you keep it affordable for 
a small business because like you said, most small businesses don't have an app budget. They don't have a marketing person. They don't have a PR department. Yeah, if any one of them had any of those things. So <laughs> We have always been a small business. And even in previous iterations of our company, we were an office supply company. There's a long story about starting a grocery delivery company that we didn't know was a grocery delivery company. It's a story for a totally different day. (laughs) Um, We've always been really small. And so we realized really early on that the the people that we talked to could never tell us a budget. It was like, I don't know, we're just going to find the money to try and do what we want to do. So we're really organized around the idea that budgets are small. So one of the things that we do, it's it's one of our, the the three principles we call them, and it's what you can do, what we can do, and what we can do together. And we start every relationship with this idea of how can we divide up tasks? How can we divide up expertise and work to make sure that we're optimizing the budget? What can you do as a client? What can we do as experts in marketing and advertising and communications? And then how do we marry those two things together to accomplish as much as we can together? So if we start with that idea, it's amazing how much small businesses can accomplish. Oftentimes they lack a plan. They lack some expertise because they just, they're not marketing professionals. They're professionals at running their particular business. Um, And so that's how we really optimize budgets is we start with that, those three principles with every relationship. I love that. The, the, what can you do? What can we do? And what can we do together? I think a lot of businesses, service businesses, professional services could learn a lot from taking that, those three lines and, and serving their customers better. We think it's unique because we, we just come at it fundamentally different. None of us are marketing professionals. Um, I didn't go to college to be in marketing and advertising. I have a degree in interior design. So I think that we just come at it from a different angle completely than most people do. And we also realize that the tools that we're using aren't always designed for what small businesses need to accomplish, right? Speaking to people in a town of a thousand is very different than having a national campaign for a 500 store chain. I mean, they're just, they're not anything the same. How you communicate, how you go to market, what your brand looks like are all very different if you're in a, in a rural small town. Very much so. If, if I were a business and I were to come to you and say, you know, I need to develop an online presence. I need to get more people in my doors. What, what are some, some simple, easy, low-hanging fruit that people could do? Sure. The first thing we always encourage people to do is to look at their business with fresh eyes. Think about someone coming to you for the first time. What do they experience? Uh, how do they find out about you? Where did they first experience you? What What is hiding? Uh, we always tell our clients, there's things that you assume that everybody knows that they don't know. And so what are those things to uncover about your business? So looking at your entire business with fresh eyes one of the other things we constantly encourage people to do is look for a professional. Small businesses often, almost always, have a lawyer, an accountant, professionals that they rely on for things that they don't know about or don't care to learn that much about um, because they're running their businesses. Uh, Marketing and advertising tends to fall off the bottom. And so either finding a professional or looking for someone in your community that can do those things for you. Even 
someone who is interested in social media or interested in website development in your community might be able to help you a lot with accomplishing things. And they're naturally from the outside. They're not a part of your business often. So they're going to bring fresh ideas. The last thing I always encourage people to do is remember that we have this saying in our office, nothing is too boring. And oftentimes we don't share things about our businesses that we just think are too boring. And so we don't share employee stories or customer success stories or things that we're really passionate about. Those are the kinds of things that build that gut feeling about a, a business. And um, and then that the other side of that, nothing is too boring. If you share nothing, it's very boring. So we always encourage right. that. Make, make sure you're sharing a lot and utilize all of your, every tool that you have. So if you're lucky enough to have a radio station in your small town or a local newspaper still, utilize those things. Those are highly effective still for reaching your audience. Don't just look to a new website or social media. Look to the things that can be highly effective in small towns that, that big cities don't have that advantage. It's really expensive to advertise in a newspaper in a city um, with limited interaction, but in a small town, it can be incredibly effective. We've seen it with a lot of our clients. You know, the center of most small towns is the high school and the sports teams. Mm-hmm. And where do you go for your coverage for those, right? It, it's right. radio and the newspaper. So the, those are, to me, would be no brainers, but I think you're right. I think a lot of people don't necessarily see the benefit of that. Yeah, and, and being creative about it too. I think that you had an interview with the librarian a couple of weeks ago. They were talking about writing an article for the newspaper. It's a great way to stay in front of people, to remind them that you're there, to keep them engaged. And that's a no cost thing. If you're lucky enough to be able to write a guest article for the newspaper or, or be on the radio station with a, a business update every week or something like that. You know, some small communities, the school has done a great job on Twitter. And so there's a, a big Twitter audience. If that's the case for you, try and get into that conversation and, and be conversational on those platforms. It, it may not be the thing that is big in your town. It might be Facebook. It might be Instagram. I don't know because every town is a little bit different depending on what they've, what the community has done. But the amazing thing to me is we see small towns and the people that make them up are, are highly connected. Um, they, they have really strong relationships. They know a lot of people. Word of mouth is still really important. And then they get on social media, especially, and they kind of forget that social media is social. And so they like put things out, but then they, they don't remember to respond or they don't uh, do those kinds of things. So one of the things you said, I think is, is super important. And I did real estate in Houston for, for a few years and my mentor gave me the best piece of advice I ever got. And I think that, that you hit the nail on the head there is outsource what you don't love, what you're not good at, I love that. give to somebody else. And use your passions to elevate that piece of the business and the rest of it will come. What's the saying? A rising tide lifts all boats or so if you can get this other piece that you do love to accelerate, then then the rest of it will just come with it. So you got to get rid of that, that stuff that you're not good at or you don't like. I mean, I'm good at balancing my checkbook, but I hate doing it. So you hire an accountant. Right. We we tend to forget to do that. We I think that that offloading of things to people who love what they do, I'm not good at everything in our office. That's why we have a team. 
and, and if we didn't have a team, we would be less effective. And when we talk to clients, you know, that's why we bring our team together and say, what are you trying to accomplish? And then from there, we can start, you know, dividing up tasks, even within our office. And, and we are all remote. So we meet on Zoom every day, <laughs> all day long. You were on Zoom before. It was cool to be on Zoom. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you grew up in a small town and, and you've brought those values to this company. What are some of the, the client stories that are uniquely small town stories? What, what, what's maybe your, your favorite one? Oh, I, I, my go-to favorite one. I know exactly what I'm going to say. Um, we had a small pharmacy in the town that I grew up in and the building that they were in and they had been in as long as I could remember. I couldn't tell you how long they'd been there. The building burned down and um, it was tragic. It was a, a downtown building, you know, century old uh, quarter of a block. So it was a big loss to the community. And uh, the gentleman who ran the, the business really wanted to tell people that he was going to stay, that he was committed to the community. He was not going to rebuild the building that had burned down, but he was going to stay and continue running his business in that community. And so we had a, a very, very small budget. And so we worked with him to develop what we we ended up calling um, We Love Vinton. And it was, it kind of turned into a series of letters to the community from him about all the things he loved about what, about that community. And so he wrote paragraph, multi-paragraph long Facebook posts that went against everything that we know works for social media. Social media is short posts and great pictures. And these were long and he signed them sincerely, John. And the community loved it and they performed really well it reinforced what he wanted to tell the community. And with a really small budget, we were able to accomplish what he wanted to accomplish. So it's often not about how big the budget is or growing your business or the, we, we call it, what is your more? Like what, what is the more you want for your business? It might be bettering your community. It might be bringing new people in. It might be growing your business, but the, I love that story because it, it, went against everything I knew would work. And it showed me that I don't know everything. <laughs> <laughs> I used to help a couple businesses out with their social media in the city. And it is true. What works in the city on social media is different than what works here. Totally. And, and I love that, that story of him just writing letters about what he loves about the town. And I think that those connections are, are, what make a small town business maybe a little bit more genuine than a city-based business. I, I think back to all those national campaigns that they try to get you to know the person. And at the end, you're just like, oh, that was a commercial. Right. But then you, you, you hear this story and it's like, oh, I know John and I know what he's talking about. And I can feel that. That is truly an amazing campaign. And, and I'm assuming it worked very well. It did. John ended up selling his business, which made sense for him. But in the time that we ran the campaign, people were talking about it. People were responding. Lots of comments, lots of shares, 
lots of people coming into the store and and striking up conversations with him about memories of the community from 20 years ago. It did exactly what it was supposed to do. And that's what I think when we have a campaign or something like that, that, that just does exactly what it's supposed to do. Those are the wins. It's not that we tripled somebody's business that, I mean, those are great stories, but those aren't the ones we remember. We remember the ones where somebody says, I just, I really want to do this thing and we do it and, and we accomplish their goals. I think that one of the goals of a lot of small businesses should be and needs to be is to remind people that they're there. For us, it's 40 minutes to the nearest Walmart and Target. And right in between Walmart and Target is conveniently located an auto port store, a lumber yard, a grocery store. So while you're running between those two, getting the things that you can only get at Walmart and Target, sometimes you're like, oh, well, while I'm here, I'll stop and get my lettuce at the grocery store. If the grocery stores in a small town did a better job of reminding you why they're there, how much money they give to your local organizations, things like that, I I think that that can go a long, long, long ways. Reminding people that Walmart did not sponsor the scoreboard in the new gymnasium. They did not fork over their thousands of dollars, their entire advertising budget for probably five years. And you have this fancy thing because this local business did it. I think stories like that go a long ways and, and our, our small businesses need to, to not take it for granted that people understand that. I agree with that. It, it's really easy when you're in your own business to think that everyone is thinking about you. Like I think everybody thinks about us, but I know that they don't. Uh, I have to remind them that we're here and you know, simple ways to do that it doesn't have to be an ad. It doesn't have to be a whole campaign. Like you just said, I mean, reminding people that you give back to your community. It's not bragging. Uh, and a lot of people avoid those things because they don't want to make a big deal out of it. Another saying we have in our office is pretty good lakes. A lot of our clients have a pretty good lakes problem. And it. we always joke that if Midwesterners were to name the Great Lakes, they would have called them the pretty good lakes. Because, you know, <laughs> could we really call them great? I mean, they're, are there better lakes? <laughs> and a lot of our clients suffer from that. They, they worry that they're going to come across as bragging. They're worried that they're going to alienate people by sending emails or sending a text. Other people don't think that way. Most people, it doesn't bother them to get an email from their pharmacist, right? It, it's a reminder that we're here and you can remind people in unique ways as well. It does not have to be 50% off or 10% off. It can be, you know, we're really excited that we supported the band boosters this month. It's a great way of reminding people that you're there. Right, right. So what, what's your favorite part of your job? What, what's the favorite thing that you get to do? My favorite thing is when a client calls me and, are, and they're excited because, of, because the result we were looking for happened. We wanted a couple new clients and, and we got them my employees are happier. I got more applications for a job that I have open. When we accomplish what our clients want, that that makes my whole week. The other thing that really makes me happy is when I see data coming off of our campaigns that reinforce our programs, the things we're doing. We're big data collection people. It, it drives everything that we do. Uh, we, we're not by guest and by gosh. 
So, you know, we, we put things out and then we see if they work and then we tweak them if they're not working. And so when you see the data coming back, that's saying what you're doing is working, you're getting the result that you want. Then I think that those are, those are big wins. So the other thing, just selfishly, I love working in small towns because I get to live in a big city and work in small towns. And that's kind of like the best of both worlds. Do you get to visit a lot of the clients yourself or, or does the team do that? I am starting to visit more people now. I haven't, I've been back with monkey this for just a couple of years. And so I haven't had a chance to visit a lot of people. I make it back to Iowa quite a bit. Um, when, especially like when we're shooting video or things like that. So I, I get to go back. I'm really excited. I've got some people here in Colorado that we're working with, and I'm really excited to get out on the plains and see some people and get up into the mountains and see some small towns. So vicarious living through other people's small town <laughs> experience. So it's a lot of fun. As, as small town people do the same thing. We go to the city for, for a week here and a week there and, or the right. weekend or so it's, it's the same thing. Just the, the flip side of the coin. Yeah. I'm just a tourist in a small town. Right. So. You're every small town's dream. <laughs> <laughs> so kind of switching gears here, you run a nonprofit, Charlotte's Day. Yes. So tell us about that. This is another one of those rabbit holes. I, my wife and I started Charlotte's Day in 2017. My daughter, our oldest daughter was in feeding therapy. She was um, having a really hard time eating losing weight became a, a fairly large issue and, and could become a longer term health issue. By the time we ended up in feeding therapy, she ha- could eat and drink about 12 foods. This is when she was about two and a half. It's really abnormal for a small child. And the other pr- issue is that she would lose food. So a food that she would like that was really important to her diet. Like a lot of kids, she would stop eating that food, but she wouldn't regain the food. So we, once we lose a food, it's a permanent loss. And, and so unlike other kiddos who gain those back. So anyway, we ended up in feeding therapy at a great clinic here in Colorado and Denver. And one of the first things they tell you is to buy these chairs, these height adjustable chairs that are going to give your kiddo the best position at the table. The seat is adjustable. The foot plate is adjustable. So they can almost sit like we sit at a chair with our feet on the floor and our tush in the seat right height at the table. And, uh, they're like $350. Wow. So they're great chairs, but they're, they're out of reach for a lot of people. So in 2017, we set out with a little goal of providing um, these chairs to families who needed them. But the first idea was we would just do it in Denver, give away about 10 chairs a year. Life would be good. Uh, my wife and I don't have nonprofit background experience. So I started Charlotte's day the first year uh, we gave away 62 chairs. Wow. And uh, I, I tell people, this is the one time in my life where I vastly underestimated the need for this. So we have, since 2017, we've shipped more than 225 chairs to families in 20 states. Wow. And um, we continue to to raise money. The all, all we do is around providing products to kids who are in feeding therapy. So really niche. We work with a lot of great therapists around the country and we provide chairs. It's been, it's incredibly fulfilling. And I, it's one of those things that I just love to do um, when we get to talk to a family or a therapist and hear these stories about kiddos whose mealtime was completely changed from, from one product that was, you know, 
that we can send to their house. And could easily be out of reach for them. Oh, totally. That's thinking back to my childhood. There's no way that a $350 chair would have come into the house. Right. Especially, I mean, most people call it a high chair and it's not a high chair. They, they support up to 250 pounds. And so um, our daughter is going to be 10. She still sits in her chair every day, every meal that we have her homework. She often does in that chair. Our dining room table has two of these chairs. And then my wife and I each have our own regular chair, but they, they can literally grow with a child through adulthood. And so it continues to be useful. So it's not, it's not just a high chair. And um, it's really beneficial to a lot of kiddos. It's not widely known. The nicer one um, is a little bit more designer. It's been around since the 60s and you see them in a lot of higher end homes. Um, It's definitely not something that most people view as a tool, but we absolutely do. That's excellent. And I know it feels good to give back and and do good things. So uh, that's definitely something you can pat yourself on the back for. I will make sure that I, I include a link to your, both the, the marketing company and the, the nonprofit in the show notes so that people listening can go learn more about both of those. Okay. So one of the last things that I always ask people is for a piece of advice. What's that one piece of, of golden advice for how to get their name out there? I think you have to really think about what you want to achieve. I Sometimes growth isn't the thing that people want to achieve. And so if you if you find tools and um, products that are focused on growth, sales growth especially, those tools aren't going to work for you. Your goal may be to encourage young people to stay in your community and go to work for a local business. That may be your goal. And so what you do in your marketing and advertising and communications is going to be completely different than what somebody's going to do if they're, if it's growth for growth's sake. So I think really honestly thinking about what you want to achieve is really, really important. And then from there, start thinking critically about what you want to do. But I, if you don't have that plan in place, if you don't know what the end goal is, it makes everything 10 times harder. How, how do I come up with that goal? I know that I need, let's say as a business owner, I know that I need to do something but I just can't quite figure out what that something is. Like you said, we have one grocery store here. So the grocery store's goal is probably not sales growth, but they have a little bit of money they can do something with. Right. Um, how, how do you help a company determine what they can do or what they should do? We have a process for that that we always follow. And so if you would like help with that, you can reach out to me. I, but, I was just uh, going to say, don't, don't give away, don't give away all the secrets. <laughs> so I think, I think having someone from the outside help you with that is, is important, but it's not necessary. I mean, it, you can do it on your own. I think you have to look really deep down in yourself, especially if you're a business owner and think about what it is. If you could achieve anything, what would it be? That grocery store goal may be, I want to have a healthier community. But if that's the goal, I would say, don't limit yourself. That's the big one. Think really big. What is the big thing that I want to achieve? And if I had all the money and all the time and all the people, what would I want to do? What's the like world changing thing that I can do from, from my small town world being whatever size you want it to be. I love that. What's the big thing I can do? 
But I, I want to thank you for your time. I, I know that everybody's time is valuable. And like I said, I will make sure that I, I link to um, both your websites in the, the show notes so that people can go learn both more about the marketing side that you do and then the, the nonprofit to, to help uh, kiddos out. Mike, thank you so much for having me. It's been a blast and uh, I, I love what you're doing. Thanks so much. Thanks for taking the time to listen today. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Rural Is Cool. There are many more great conversations to come. Hitting the subscribe or follow button will help make sure you don't miss any. If there's someone you think I should talk to, send me an email at ruralistcoolpod at gmail.com. I truly enjoyed meeting rural people and helping tell their stories. This episode was produced by Brian Ferris. The artwork is by Casey Schott. Do me a favor and be sure to rate and review us in Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. This helps more people like you find us. Until next time, remember, rural is cool.